I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to welcome Ellie Burroughs, the CEO of Mindful, to our podcast today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Devgan. Well, it's really exciting to have you here because I feel like my life is so stressful that bringing someone <laughs> in who has experience in the meditative space is mm -hmm. really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I obviously am a meditation evangelist. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Um, and I love to you know, help serve my fellow human beings and learn how to help them sort of relax, connect to themselves. Okay, let's let's start by having you tell us what mindful is. Yeah, so uh, mindful exists to enable humans to feel good. We are New York City's premier meditation studios. We have three locations in Greenwich Village, the Upper East Side, and Williamsburg. We feature expert teachers offering traditional techniques in an accessible manner. So even if you think you can't meditate, you know we'll prove you delightfully wrong. Uh, we're in over about over 150 companies teaching meditation in and around the New York City area. We have a static video channel called Mindful Video for the 15% of our community that lives outside of New York City. So individuals can sit with us even if they're not based here. And we have a nonprofit arm called Mindful Ed where we're able to do what we do in underserved communities and schools. And we also have a mindful teacher training program. I think we're entering our fifth or sixth cohort right now. So that's mindful. And we, it's sort of, we're a drop in meditation studio, if that wasn't clear. So we have 30, 45, 60 minute classes. You can drop in any time during your busy day in between patients, if you will, um, and sit with us and sit with one of our expert teachers and we'll teach you how to meditate and support um, the building of a practice. That's so interesting um, because you never think about meditation as a group class type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of disruptive that you guys have done that. Yeah, I, I, I like to have people think about it a little bit like singing in the shower versus singing in the choir. You're singing in both ways. It's just there's a very different quality to the experience. So both both ways of practicing are equally beneficial and equally wonderful. Um, sometimes it just helps to have a community around you that can help hold you accountable, keep you consistent, um, you know, that's going through it with you. That's That's been one of the sort of wonderful aspects of what we offer is just the community building around the space. What got you interested in spirituality and consciousness and that kind of thing? So I'll try to tell this short version. <laughs> um, but, you know, from a very young age, I was, you know, the child that like loved going to Hebrew school and liked playing consciousness games with my aunts and uncles. And um, I took all of my bat mitzvah money and bought, you know, um, glow-in-the-dark stars to turn my room into a universe. And I was just kind of always interested in the things you couldn't really see. Um, and I was also at the same time growing up in a family that was in the entertainment business in LA and they derived an enormous amount of joy from what they did. And 
and I assumed that that same joy was awaiting me. So I went to film school at Northwestern, um, graduated, went right into the William Morris mailroom, started working for an agent. Which is the most prestigious mailroom in town, for <laughs> I those mean... of you who aren't aware. <laughs> um, yeah, certainly if, if that's where you want to go with your life, I was in the right place at the right time. Um, and then I left to work for a man named Ted Hope, who had an independent film production company here in New York City. Um, his, he, did I say his name, Ted Hope? He now runs Amazon Studios, so he's had quite the trajectory since we parted ways. So cool. Um, but I worked for him, and during that time, I had a little bit of a health scare. It was 2008. It was a recession. We weren't making a lot of movies, so um, not that there's ever an optimal time to have a health scare, but I had extra time on my hands, and... Um, I start, went to go see a functional medicine doctor here in the city. I don't know if you know him, Dr. Frank Lippman. He's on 22nd between 5th and 6th. And they were sort of helping me fix my physical, you know, sort of symptoms, but the emotional piece was missing. So his office referred me to different masters and healers and teachers that really blew open the door on my adult spirituality and sort of helped me reconnect with who I was as a kid before homework and boys and school and jobs and all the stress of sort of life, you know, came together. So um, that sort of started a over a decade long journey. And I was first exposed to my own breath um, in 2010 when I quit my job for the first time to study with what I, I'm, I'm doing in quotations here in person, a healer, because um, people have many different ways of what that, you know, defining what a healer is, what that means to different people. And um, I learned this technique called ecstatic breath work, which was incredibly dynamic. And um, you would take some very rigorous, rigorous breaths in a certain sequence. And what you would feel is this type of euphoria. Um, and it was incredibly relaxing. But by the end of doing this for one, two, three hours at a time, no one wants to send an email or drive a car. You like barely know your own name. So I wanted something that fit more seamlessly into my everyday life. So I started struggling with a mindfulness practice. After that year off, I went back into the film business just to make sure that I was ready to walk away from it entirely because this was my dream to run ultimately run a studio and it ended up working out except I got my M's confused. I run a meditation studio, <laughs> not a movie studio. So anyways, I went back um, and every day I would go to my staff meetings or spend time with my coworkers and the way they felt about film, the passion they would walk into, you know, into the room with, I said to myself, I want to feel that way about what I do. And the only thing I feel this way about is this double life I'm living where I'm in spiritual pursuit, in consciousness pursuit every day of my life. And that's where I want to spend my time. So I quit my job, um, took another year off. And it's important to note for the story that um, it wouldn't be an authentic story if I didn't share that I lost my mom in 2004. And that allowed me the flexibility um, and that put me in a position of privilege to be able to take a year off and really, you know, rethink my career and rethink what I wanted to do. And so I spent a year traveling and I came back to New York with zero plans and started saying yes to things that were ultimately aligned with what I wanted to do. And I had a fledgling meditation practice on the side. And um, I met my co-founder, Loja Rinsler. I started volunteering for him at a nonprofit. I was going to coaching school, so it was another way to fill my days. And we became fast friends. And one day I was really struggling with my practice. I, with all that time on my hands, I was showing up for my workout two hours a day, six days a week, but I couldn't make 10 minutes of meditation happen in my home, even though there was a space in my home that was carved out for it, a cushion, a beautiful altar, um, you know, even a clock that made no noise to help me count the minutes. 
and Lodra and I went for tea and I said, you know, I'm having trouble sitting in my home. How come there's no place I can go? That's not a religious center. That's not a 10 day Vipassana commitment. How come there's no place in New York City that I can drop into like my workout? Um, I'm really, you know, interested in practicing with other people who are struggling with with a practice and fitting it into their crazy New York life. And Loder said, Ellie, in 10 years, there's going to be a meditation studio on every corner. And sort of a light bulb went off, not to sound cliche, but that's true. And I said to Lodro, you know, I think I could probably raise the money and design the space and do the branding, the marketing, if you could bring the teachers and the content. Because if we're going to do it well, I need an expert on board. Mm -hmm. So um, we sort of made a handshake deal. And 16 months later, we opened the doors to Mindful. And now looking back, it's 2018, September 4th, 2018. And last week, I actually graduated from a 2,000-hour teacher training program um, in Vedic meditation. So when I think about what the studio did for me, you know, not only did it help me become more consistent and was a space for, you know, someone who was struggling with their practice and needed community, but ultimately, you know, I ended up becoming a teacher. So that's so interesting. So <laughs> sorry, you know, that was not people, the short version. <laughs> no, I liked it. I, I, I thought it was really fascinating. Um, there were so many things that stuck out in your story that I want to ask you a little bit more about. Um, most of the time, people don't think that their lives have enough time for something like meditation, it can almost feel a little bit self-indulgent. Mm -hmm. What's your answer to that? Yeah, I think um, I would say a couple things. First, that when you begin practicing meditation, your relationship to time, at least for me, it changed dramatically, right? my I felt myself before I had a consistent practice, you know, in a way, white knuckling time, constantly feeling like there wasn't enough of it, um, always feeling like it was breathing down my neck and I didn't have the space or time to kind of do anything. And, you know, I want to say that I'm not a parent. So I right now don't have to care for other souls or children in my life. So I'd be curious, you know, to ask parents who have a consistent meditation practice, what's that like? So right now, you know, um, I have the ability to yeah. get up every single day. And that's the first thing that I do in the morning, because it can be the first thing I do in the morning. And that's a luxury. So what I would say is we make time and prioritize, I think, the things that are ultimately really important to us. And when it comes to meditation practice, there are sort of three C's that can really help jumpstart it. First, the commitment to having a practice in general. Now, if we already have a thousand you know, competing priorities and there are other commitments like our workout feels more important to us or our time in the kitchen feels more important to us or whatever that is, I can't argue with that person. You know, if, if that's what they want to prioritize and if that's, you know, what feels best to them, that person knows themselves, and and I support you know that as a way of unwinding or unstressing or whatever it is. But for meditation, it does require commitment up front. So the decision to actually start a practice, consistency, because the benefits are another C word cumulative over over time. So if you really want to see the benefits, you have to be consistent for like a minimum of eight to ten weeks. Um, every single day, minimum of 10 minutes. That's most of the scientific studies sort of reveal that that's what's required if you want to begin to see the benefits. And it can feel like a lot of pressure, like adding one more thing into the mix. So that's why mindful is so amazing because in some ways some of the work is done for you, right? All you have to do is schedule it into your calendar, um, you know, 
show up and the teacher really holds your hand. And what I say to people who are like, I don't have enough time, I'll say, you'll get to it when you're ready. And, you know, if it feels like it's something that's valuable and is helping your life, then you'll want to continue because that's the best incentive to keep practicing. But really everyone, I mean, it's not one size fits all, you know, meditation isn't going to be the thing for everyone that, that they have to do or they need to make time for. What are, what, what are some tips that you have for people who want to integrate some meditation into their daily lives who are not able to go into a mindful studio? Yeah, so like I mentioned at the top, um, we obviously have Mindful Video, which is our static video channel. It has over 150 videos that you can meditate with any of our teachers um, and for any length of time. So having a tool like that or an app can be really, really helpful. But I would say, you know, a special spot in your house, like if you can't leave your house to do it, where you're always practicing the same type of meditation each time. So it would kind of be like picking up a saxophone and then picking up a violin if you were switching, uh, you know, meditation styles all the time. It's really great to pick one instrument and kind of go deep so you can become, you know, so you can ultimately play by ear if we're really taking that analogy all the way through. Um, consistent amount of time is pretty important. So, um, you know, rather than being like, okay, I'm going to start a meditation practice, I'm going to do 20 minutes every single day, like setting an achievable goal, like maybe it's five minutes to start or 10 minutes, but sticking with that 10 minutes and when you begin to feel like you might need a little bit more time or you're ready to extend by a couple minutes kind of going by that sort of flow of where you're feeling in your practice and consistent pacing too so you know um when are you coming back to your breath how is that working um you know what is the pacing of your meditation depending on the style you're practicing um which can vary Okay, so I think that's really cool. The one thing that I wanted to ask you about switching gears into the more business side of things mm -hmm. is just the concept of taking medica med meditation mm -hmm. into the business world, um, which is so interesting. Mm -hmm. um, how has your company grown from a business standpoint? Yeah, so um, when we started, I think we opened we opened our doors on uh, November 6, 2015, and I think Lodra and I sat at the door and was just like, is anyone ever going to walk in? And once sort of well and good broke the story that we were open, we started to see a lot of, um, you know, the sort of wellness community in New York come in and start experiencing the space. And when we sort of started getting press from other outlets, um, especially when we were on the cover of the Metropolitan section of the New York Times, we started to get a lot of inbound requests from different companies. And because neither Lodra nor I were had ever done any sort of corporate sales um, or worked in HR for that matter at a company, we could end up like sending like one instructor. And then we didn't really understand that like what a company really needed to see, you know, the benefits over time, like what I talked about or stress resilience, um, increased creativity, you know, less employee burnout, they would need to have consistent series. So at the time we had uh, a woman named Johanna Lannis Bloom walk into our uh, studio and she was like the fifth person who ever walked into Mindful and she just quit her job at UBS um, where she was working for 10 years in financial services to start a company bringing wellness into the workplace and she was in need of a meditation partner and we were in need of someone to help us figure out you know how to provide you know um, these companies with meditation. Mindful really seeks to make meditation as accessible as possible. So that just doesn't mean accessible in our studio, but accessible outside the studio. So making our offering and our content accessible to companies. So um, we brought on Joe, and she started helping us navigate sort of the corporate world. And we figured out very quickly that we put together these series, and it was going really well for these companies. And we ended up, you know, 
by word of mouth or by a press piece that was written, all of a sudden our sort of corporate roster started to grow. And by the end of the year, it was about 65% of Joe's business. So we asked Joe to come in-house full-time, um, and she started as sort of our director of digital and corporate sales, and now she's our COO. And the company's grown, sorry, that portion of our business has grown over 200% since she walked in the door. So it's really her baby, and it's important that you know I acknowledge her and give her credit for the work she's done to help build that aspect of our business. Um, it's remarkable what's happened. We have um, you know, some annual contracts with companies where we see them every week, 52 weeks a year. 52, right? That's how many weeks are in a year. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. Um, <laughs> it's always good to... Just, yeah. just checking. Just checking. Um, okay. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. In terms of your goals for Mindful, what are the next steps that you have in mind for the company? Yeah. I mean, we have our hands full right now with our uh, three studios here in New York City, continuing to sort of grow our corporate efforts. Um, continuing to make as as our mission is to make meditation accessible, make mindful as accessible as possible, to keep uploading, you know, more content to our mindful video channel, and also, um, you know, to give back to the community through mindful ed. That's sort of what we're focused on right now. And I always say it's funny when you ask a meditator that question because, you know, we're taught over and over again to focus on the present moment. You know, to get ahead of myself and talk about the future seems sort of antithetical um, to everything you know, we do, but, um, but yeah, right now I think we're still in a, in a period of growth and I'm excited to see where we're going. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, okay. Now I have a more practical question, which is when you walk into a mindful studio, can you talk us through literally exactly what happens? Yeah. Like, you know, just talk us through, you walk in the door and then what? Yeah, so you walk in the door, um, and you probably, the first thing you notice is that um, it's a very soothing environment. Often, uh, people will say, I cannot believe this exists in New York, or whoa, this place is so relaxing. What does it look like? It's beautiful. It looks like a wonderful apartment you'd like to have in New York City. It's um, The color of the walls is actually called Calm. It's a Benjamin Moore color. Um, everything is gray and neutral. There's lots of what natural material. It's like, an, it's like a white with some like chalky gray in it, like a okay. very light amount of chalky gray in it. Um, there's a lot of greenery and plants. So to see that kind of plant, that kind of greenery year-round in New York City is wonderful when you're living in a concrete jungle to walk in and see like actual green living green walls so our studio signature is our plant wall um and in the beginning people were coming in just to see the plant wall and then we turned them into meditators um but that was super fun because they're like hey i heard there's a green a living wall here and they'd be like hey can i come check it out and we'd be like do you want to stay for class and they would say sure um but all of our mindfuls are split in two so 50 percent of the space is for um lounging and community gathering so you're encouraged to arrive early leave late get to know your fellow meditators we don't allow technology past the front desk oh my god so there are people who are like sipping tea and actually talking to each other we've had people meet and now they live together or people meet and now they're business collaborators so it really offers you an opportunity to connect with human beings sans technology um and then the other 50% is for practicing. So it's a room full of gray cushions that sort of match the aesthetic of the rest of the space. Um, and then generally a private room. So you can learn one-on-one -on -one with a teacher or we can host some smaller gatherings back there. Um, but mindful is really, it's, it's sort of a beautiful, calm, very home-like, very familiar, cozy place, very bright. There's natural light there and um, there's just this warmth in the space. It's hard to capture. I'm picturing something like 
a really soothing yoga class. Is that, am I, am I on the right track? I would say you're not really moving in our classes unless we're okay. doing a mindful movement class, which is a walking meditation, um, which we actually don't really offer anymore because people are going elsewhere to move. <laughs> so this was part of our learning in the first year. But um, you're sort of, if you really like Shavasana at the end of your yoga class, you'd probably really like mindful um, because it's the time where you're sitting there and, um, you know, you're, you are in a very relaxed state and, um you know, at that time, it's sort of an extension of that, is that yoga was actually, let's go in another direction, which is that yoga was designed to prepare the body for meditation. So when you get to that Shavasana state, you know, that you'd be like primed and ready to go. So hopefully what we do is we invite you in off the street and the environment is soothing and calming enough, you know, to prepare you to go in and sit in the room for 30 minutes. And really that class, it's about five minutes, five minutes of intro, 15 minutes of guided practice so you're really never left alone that long for more than like 90 seconds to two minutes in our classes with your own thoughts um, you have a teacher you know gently reminding you to come back to the breath or the intention you're setting depending on the class type you're in um, and then there's time at the end for question and answer and the great thing about mindful is that there could be a couple um, newcomers in the space and they're going to ask the same questions and maybe someone else might feel you know, unready to ask. So my leg keeps falling asleep. Like maybe feel, someone feels embarrassed to ask that question or doesn't feel comfortable. So inevitably someone will ask questions in the room that can help you benefit and learn, um, you know, and bolster your practice. Can you tell when you meet someone if they meditate or not? No, definitely not. Um, although, you know, it's been my experience that people who meditate, um, you know, really enjoy making like direct eye contact with people when they're talking. So like I'm making direct eye contact with you, like you'll notice a lot, like people who are meditators generally, and this is like totally unscientific. It's just been my experience, you know, like they really look at you in the eyes when they're talking the whole time. So when I've met people and I say, oh, this is what I do and I'm still talking to them, they'll be like, really just like looking in my eyes that must be because of meditation um that always makes me laugh so I would say that's like one thing some some feedback I've often received um but no I don't think there's any way to tell because the truth is is that you know when you're practicing so I'm a Vedic teacher so I practice a mantra based practice but when you're practicing um mindfulness which you know I'm paraphrasing John Kabat-Zinn but it's the act of bringing your full attention to the present moment on purpose without judgment. So it's totally sort of objective, full attention moment in your life. Um, when you are fully present, um, you know, you can be present to all sorts of feelings in your life. So you could be in a fight with your spouse or a sibling, and you could be present with your rage, right? And you'd be like, oh, that person does not seem like a meditator. They're super pissed off. But what you learn is that we're having sort of an all-inclusive experience of life. And meditation is just something that helps you sort of self-regulate, recalibrate, um, understand when you're having a stress response. So when we were like roaming in, you know, in the wherever we were hundreds of thousands of years ago and a tiger was attacking us our body and you could probably speak to this you know better than I can um, our body would release sort of a chemical experience a lot of cortisol gets released in the body you think you're definitely gonna die so we have this fight-or-flight response that can also happen when you get an angry email from your boss or someone like body checks you on the subway and your <laughs> and your response is to like latch out <laughs> right or, or say some sort of crazy curse word at them and like your day is like all of a sudden on the wrong foot and everything you know like we're having this sort of all-inclusive experience and the act of meditation I think just helps us 
not only, you know, learn more about ourselves, and another fun fact is one of the Tibetan words for meditation is gom, which means to become familiar with. So meditation helps us become familiar with all of who we are. Um, but it just helps us to sort of navigate um, the world in a sort of from a more like relaxed, sort of aware space. So, you know, no, I don't think you can tell, you know, my, my husband would probably tell you that if we're in a fight, he does not think I meditate, you know, but that's, that's part of life. And, um, I often, you know, will ask myself, you know, am I being as soft as I can be in this moment? Am I being as kind to myself as I'm, am I being as kind to the other person as I can be? The ability to do that, that's a direct result of my meditation practice. Um, because I wasn't doing that before I started practicing. And it doesn't mean I get it all the time, and it's not about getting an A and being this perfect human being at all. It's just having this tool that you can call upon when um, emotions are heightened or difficult, or even when emotions are sort of flatlined, and you're like, I just want to really enjoy this delicious, you know, what season are we? We're at the end of summer, stone fruit in front of me, and I want to taste all of it, and I want to just do this one thing and eat the stone fruit and that's all I'm going to do in this moment because usually I'm eating the stone fruit, I'm sending an email, I'm on a foot call, I'm trying to catch a cab, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, that we're doing as, as New Yorkers and all over the country. So really just kind of um, bringing our full attention to whatever it is that we're doing in one moment and that might just be the fruit. It's interesting because meditation seems like a really solitary pursuit and it's kind of fascinating to take something that is very solitary and individual and put it in the context of a group mm -hmm. and create a community around, yeah. you know, it's sort of like how I, I joke that my best friends and I can sit together silently and send emails to different mm -hmm. other people, but in each other's presence, you know, yeah. it's kind of like that with meditation, right? I'm curious, do you feel like an extra surge of energy when you have your best friends around you and you're all sending emails and, you know, you're all focused and you're all doing this like output thing together? Does that feel different than when you're sending the emails on your own? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some companionship that's yeah. part of the human condition, and you sort of want to be with other people even when you kind of want to be alone. Yeah, totally. So in a way, meditation is, at least at Mindful, is like being alone together, right? So yeah, it's, having the bo it's having both. It's being alone and it's being together. I want to be alone together. So um, it is definitely a solitary pursuit, but there are benefits, um, you know, to practicing in a group, and there are benefits to practicing alone. Sometimes I don't always practice in a group. Sometimes I have to practice alone. I usually practice first thing in the morning when I get up, so that's always alone. And then I'll, I'll practice in a group, usually in the afternoon, so mindful. The other thing that I find really fascinating about mindful is that um, you've created a business model about something that people, I think, tend to regard as inherently free. And now mm -hmm. I, I don't mean that it should be free because obviously there's expertise in having mm -hmm. um, a meditation guide lead you through techniques and you know I, I definitely am someone who appreciates the value of experience and expertise in any field mm -hmm. um, but at the same time I think there are people who who kind of just I don't know just wrap are working to wrap their head around that whole concept mm -hmm. so how, how do you my question for you is how do you um, monetize something like meditation yeah so a couple things. One, Donna, the tradition of bringing or donating an offering to a teacher is 
thousands of years old. So um, maybe it would be, um, you know, thousands of years if it could have been a bag of rice or flour or something that was of value. Or an value, apple for the teacher's desk. For the teacher's yeah. desk. Um, this offering to teachers is something that's been around for forever. Um, and there are, as you mentioned, individuals who have donated their lives to studying these wisdom traditions. And mindful is really kind of the first place where teachers can pay their rent doing what they love to do. And there are many people in this world who offer, you know, donate their life to studying something like um, medicine and get compensated, you know, for for offering that gift to the world and holding space for fellow human beings. So it's a complicated thing working with people's minds. And it's definitely not, if everyone was a meditation teacher and that was like something you could do freely, you know, I think that would be a different conversation. But, you know, to sit there, to hold space, to understand the mechanics of the practice, to understand the mechanics of the techniques, to be able to, um, you know, navigate that sort of mind-body connection, that's, that takes a certain level of skill. Um, and these individuals have made investments in order to, you know, offer that to the world. So part of it is, you know, part of Mindful's business model is being able to feature the best teachers in the city. Um, and rather than having you chase around 35 teachers all over the city trying to figure out which style is best for you, that's incredibly stressful. We've streamlined the process and brought them all under one roof um, and offered them up for your consideration. So what style of meditation suits me best? Mindfulness, um, contemplative practice, um, visualization, Vedic meditation, mantra-based practice, sound, you know, what works best for you? What's, what are you seeing optimal results? So um, that helps also just creating sort of the accountability structure of a physical studio space. We have to pay rent, we have to keep on the lights, our teachers. So um, for us, we also found that when people were willing to make an investment in themselves, they were more likely to show up for their practice. So part of our, you know, thesis is that, um, you know, meditation can help people be kinder humans and kinder humans to their fellow humans. So, you know, that comes with consistency. So creating sort of an accountability structure around that, that's sort of how we decided to come up with this business model. I read a really great interview with you um, in Forbes, and you were asked about advice that you would give to young men and women who are interested in entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and starting a business. And Mm -hmm. I really liked the advice that you gave. Do you mind sharing some of that with us? I think I gave two pieces of advice. That article is a couple years old, but um, one of them is don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, I don't know if that's the one that you identified with, but uh, I really feel that as business owners or as entrepreneurs, it's important to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And I certainly know what my limitations are as a human being. My meditation practice has helped me identify those limitations um, and not be afraid to admit what you don't know. I think we live in a time where people don't find it very difficult to say, I don't know the answer to that, or I don't know. And when you're running a company, it's really important to be able to ask experts, you know, their opinions, you can make an educated decision, even if you're not an expert in that field. So, I mean, I asked a lot for a lot of help. Um, And then what I would also say is if you are an entrepreneur in your 20s, um, which I don't think I technically was, I think I just turned 30, but you know, our brain is an adolescent until we're 25. Now they're seeing potentially 27, something like that. So, you know, our brains are wired for risk. And um, we seem to think we need to have it all figured out in those in that decade of the 20 to 30s. And we don't. It's a time for experimentation to try different things. Our bodies are primed for that. And, you know, I'm not 
you know, endorsing harming yourself by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, not having to have it all figured out and have all of the answers, I think that's also okay. I don't know if those are the, I think those are the two things. Yeah, I think about. that's really great. Um, <laughs> I um, so I feel like I could chat with you all day. It's very soothing. I feel like I'm <laughs> meditating right now. Um, you have this like nice, calm, low voice. And it's very soothing. Um, but I wanted to end by asking you um, a little bit about some advice that you can give to people who want to do something different today. They're listening to this podcast on their way home from work today. Mm -hmm. They want to make a little change. Mm -hmm. What's something that can be done, even if it falls short of meditation, to get people more tuned into their own spirituality on a super practical level? Yeah, I would say um, two things come to mind. The first is maybe eat your dinner tonight or your meal. I don't know if you're listening to this breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Um, maybe just do that. You know, instead of having your phone out, sending an email, watching the TV, so try monotask. Just, yeah, <laughs> sing, yeah, exactly, monotask. Just try, um, you know, eating a meal, really tasting the flavors of that meal, listening to the sound of, you know, your teeth crunching on whatever it is that you're crunching on. You know, what does it feel like to swallow? What does it feel like when it goes into your belly? Um, can you notice when you're actually full? What is the experience of eating like? What are the smells associated with that? Just bring your full sensory attention just to the act of eating. That's like one thing you can do. Because so often, like me, I'll be eating and sending an email and talking to someone and something's on in the background and you know, just try one, doing one thing um, at a time. And if it's not eating, maybe it's something else, just monotasking at least once a day and having that be the only thing you do. Um, that's why people, I think, also enjoy working out, not because it makes you, it not only makes you feel great and clears your mind, and but um, you know, people often say, you know, cooking is my meditation or uh, skiing is my meditation, working out is my meditation. They're not meditations, but when you're skiing, it's really hard to like also be sending an email or when you're cooking, if you're like chopping something up, you can't also be sending an email. You're right. single focused on one thing. So, um, you know, that you can be mindful when you're cooking, but cooking is not a meditation. So I would just say, what do you bring your full absolute attention to in whatever moment you're in? And just try that even just for one second. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank this you has for been having so me. interesting. This was delightful. <laughs> I can't wait to check out Mindful. I feel like I have to, you know, start focusing on one thing at yes, a time. We'd yeah. love to have you in and maybe you can bring your friends in and not email and we'll we'll take you guys through a meditation <laughs> class. Absolutely. Well that's kind of like surgery, you know. Yeah. I like when I'm doing surgery, exactly. I'm only doing surgery and exactly. there's a way in which the highest stress aspect of my life is the most relaxing for me because I'm only doing that operation on that one person at yeah. that time. Exactly. And you can probably feel all the things that are coursing through your body while you're, I don't know what, it, I'm sure you've been doing surgery a long time, but I don't know if you still feel any sort of sensations in your body, but you're totally focused on that person and you can feel that, you know, you're in a high stress environment. So that's really interesting. That's what we sort of teach on the cushion. So being able all to right. hold all of that in your awareness. And focus on one thing at, once. at a time. Sure. Okay, well thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for having me.